Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Actually, I think we were in uh, the end of Acts chapter 23. And I'm told I can use this. Ooh, check that out. I'm in business now. Got my large print study Bible. It's interesting. You go to different buildings and they have different size. Now, you obviously have this platform, but they have different size podiums. And if you have a large Bible, you can get in trouble because then you have notes. And if you have something that spreads out, you don't know what to do. So, um, Acts chapter 23. We ended off this morning with Paul being... taken by night secretly by over 400 Roman troops to um, Caesarea Maritima. Now, mare or mar, I believe in Latin, means sea. And if you go to, for example, California, they have uh, uh, mar. I mean, in Spanish, what is sea in Spanish? Mar. You know, you see this name. Maritima is Caesarea by the sea because there's another Caesarea, which is Caesarea Philippi. And it's over here. Okay, so we're talking about this Caesarea. And we're going to talk a little bit about this city. Um, Acts chapter 23. And um, go to the end of the chapter here. And let's read at verse number 31. Down to the end of the chapter. I've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm supposed to go all the way into chapter 26, so... Uh, reading from the King James this evening. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris or Antipatris, wherever you put the accent, right here, 40 miles north of Jerusalem. On the morrow of the next day, they left the horsemen to go with him, just the horses go, the next 25 miles north to Caesarea, and the soldiers returned to the castle. The horsemen, who, when they came to Caesarea and deliver the epistle or the letter to the governor, that's Felix, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he, that is Paul, was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, and Cilicia is a city, just if you kind of go around the coast, there's Turkey, and the dot goes off the screen. Uh, There's a city up there that Paul was from, uh, Cilicia. And so basically he looks at him and says, you know, whose jurisdiction are you under? I can send you there to be tried. When he hears he's from Cilicia, he says, um, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Let's pray. Father, we ask this evening as we look at a little bit of history, as we look at some pictures, some maps, and read through your word, Lord, that you would remind us again that what we are reading uh, is historical information. Lord, we need the help of your Spirit to live uh, as if what we read in the Scripture is historical information, uh, not just a story, but the truth and and history. Uh, When we share the Gospel, Father, we ask that you'd help us to share not simply um, a a set of statements or ideas people need to understand, but that we would present the reality of an existing God, a historically risen Christ, and a returning Savior. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're, we're in Caesarea. Um, there, here's another photograph. No photographs of, 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 of anything but ruins. I hope you don't mind me uh, saying things like that. But um, I, I, I thought it would be nice to talk a little bit about Caesarea. And the goal this morning, what, what I was trying to do, was to basically go through uh, the chapters from chapter 21, uh, as far as we could get, hopefully to 26 this evening, and talk about some history to show what? That these events are historical events, and that then makes us think, do we really treat uh, the book of Acts and the gospel that's preached all through Acts as a historical event? Or is it just a story? Is it just a story? Is it just um, a formula? Uh, There was this man named Jesus. He died, and he rose again, and there were people that said this, and I believe that too because I was raised that way. Or do I believe this is history like September 11th was history 10 years ago? As hard as it is to believe that certain things happened, they're historical events. And so looking at some of the cities and some of the places, I think will help us do that. Um, This city, Caesarea, was the capital, the Roman seat of government, for all of the area of Judea for about 600 years. And then it became a crusader sort of uh, outpost. And it was built by Herod the Great. Herod the Great built a number of of big items in in the land of Israel at the time. Uh, It's called Caesarea because, uh, if any of you guys know history, there was a famous battle called the Battle of Actium where Herod's friend, Mark Anthony, you've heard of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, fought a battle with Octavius in the sea, and Cleopatra and and Mark Anthony were defeated in a big, one of these famous naval battles of history. And Octavius is named by the Roman government Caesar Augustus. And that has to do with the whole issue of uh, the Roman Republic and these big decisive events in Roman history. And so, Herod the Great's benefactor and friend in power in Rome was Mark Anthony. Well, what do you do when there's a, a new emperor in town who, who doesn't like your, your best friend, so to speak? Well, Herod took a chance and immediately went to Rome and bowed the knee to Caesar Augustus, Octavius, and says, basically, like I serve Mark Anthony, I'll serve you. And his willingness to do that was rewarded with with land and he builds Caesarea and names it to honor Caesar. And that's where this city gets its its name from. Um, There are several wonders of the ancient world. I don't know that this is one of them, but he built a huge, huge port uh, that was something like 40 acres and could hold 300 ships he used new, a new concrete that would actually harden in the water. Um, they built all kinds of amazing things here. He built this, this port. He had a palace that jutted out into the sea. This is where Paul is kept. We'll see that in a second. Um, they have a theater. Uh, some people say that when Paul gave his, his testimony and speech before Agrippa, it happens in this amphitheater. And you can go sit there today. It holds three to 4,000 people. It's this big, big amphitheater. Uh, there's a hippodrome where they race horses over here. And um, this whole city was built by Herod the Great. An aqueduct brought water, I think, six or ten miles away from a river. 
And so this is where they take him. And this is where Pontius Pilate would have lived and stayed. Uh, this is where all of the, the what the, the New Testament calls the governor. Um, and how do you relate the governor to the king? We'll talk a little bit about this, but for a while the Herods ruled as kings in the area. But at some point early on, um, they were disposed because of the poor rulership of one of Herod the Great's sons, and Rome took and put some, some men that are called prefects in to rule. And so that's who Felix is, that's who Festus is, that's who Pontius Pilate was. So that's a little bit about Caesarea. What happened here biblically? Um, in Acts 8.40, in Acts 8.40, Philip the Evangelist preaches here. Okay, he preaches in Caesarea. Peter went to baptize and preach the gospel to who? In Acts 10. The household of Cornelius. And Cornelius was a centurion that uh, worked with the garrison of Roman soldiers in Caesarea. When, Festus, when, when Felix hears the gospel, we read that he was informed about the way. Well, how did he hear about the way? Maybe because of 20 years earlier, this Roman centurion heard the gospel and it had an influence among Roman soldiers. Uh, Peter came to Caesarea after he was delivered from prison in Acts 12. Um, King Herod Agrippa the first, we'll talk about the, the, the Herod family a little bit, I'll show you a chart, dies, some say, here in the amphitheater at Caesarea. Um, and remember, the people say it's not the voice of a man, but the voice of a god that speaks. And it says that he was eaten of worms. And in 44 AD, Agrippa I suddenly dies. And his son Agrippa II, who shows up, he's the Agrippa of Acts 26, who shows up with Bernice, that's his father. Um, there's a number of Herods. Their family tree is like a knot. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and then uh, Paul visited the city several times, and eventually he's in prison here for, for two years. Let me just show you a few more pictures. This is Caesarea today, and there's the aqueduct. Uh, there's the amphitheater, and I came across a couple things. This is an interesting stone that was found in the amphitheater, and it actually has Pontius Pilate's name on it. This is an important find when you can actually find the name of a historical figure. And it says something to the extent of, some of it's chipped off to the Honorable Augustus Tiberius, something about Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. That's how they got, that's how they figured out what, what position these men held according to Roman terms. And the New Testament was calling them governor, prefect, or um, uh, praetoria of, of Judea has dedicated this blank, presumably the the, uh, the amphitheater. So, a little bit of history there. Um, aerial picture. This is Herod's palace, and we read at the end of this chapter that Paul was kept at Herod's palace. It jutted out into the water. Fancy real estate. Hippodrome, where they would race horses, the amphitheater, and the rest of the city goes out to the east. This is a drawing, and a, I guess a, a Jewish periodical of, of Herod's palace. And so this is where Paul stays. You can see the hippodrome and the harbors out here. So, that's Caesarea. So let's, let's move forward a little bit and talk about chapter 24. Okay? Uh, verse, let me read verse 35, actually, of the end of chapter 23. I will hear thee, says Felix, Felix, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. And that's where you get, that's, that's where he keeps them, Herod's judgment hall. 
So we go into Acts chapter 24. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain order named Tertullus, who informed the governor, that's Felix, against, against Paul. What I want to do is talk about Felix a little bit. Again, I'm just trying to highlight the history. Who was Felix? Felix was the, uh, the governor, the procurator, the Roman ruler of this region from about 52 to 59. And what's interesting about this is that since we know the dates that some of these men ruled, it helps us to date events in the New Testament. And that's some of the way that you, they date some of the things that happen in the Bible is that the Bible mentions historical events that we know actual dates of. So he's ruling for about seven years. And they say that he was a Greek that was a slave, got his freedom, and he and his brother Pallas worked their way up into Roman government and eventually became friends of, of the highest in authority. And... Um, like I said, Felix wants to know Paul's background, where he's from. He decides to try him, even though Paul's in somebody else's jurisdiction. And Felix was not a good ruler. Most of the, 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 the people in Felix's position were not liked by the Jews at all. Um, they were, the, the, Rome was hated by the Jewish people. They were ruling God's nation, and they wanted the, the, the Romans out. And so there was always conflict between Men like Felix, they would try to do Roman things, um, bring banners, images, idols into Jerusalem. Uh, they would kill people if they needed to quell riots. All of these, these tensions went on between them. Um, and so you have the whole issue, the trial between uh, Felix and the Jews who come up. And you guys have gone through Acts chapter 24. And they basically accuse... Paul of being, you know, one who starts riots and causes problems all throughout the world. It's interesting in verse 2, we read in Acts 24, 2, it says, And when uh, he was called forth Tertullus, who was an orator, he was one who was skilled in rhetoric, even though he's called a lawyer, um, began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, so on and so forth. That wasn't really true. Um, if you consider quietness, there were a lot of things that were going on under Felix. He crucified lots of people, innocent people. And as a result, the Jews hated him even more, and they were assassins and, and people that were wanting to rebel, roaming the countryside, ready to kill those that supported the Romans. It was Felix that took an army out and killed several thousand Jews who had followed this Egyptian imposter out into the wilderness and back in to um, to the Mount of Olives. And that's who Claudius Lysias thought Paul was because Paul spoke to him in Greek. He said, hey, are you that Egyptian? Um, it was Felix that had many Jews that followed this Egyptian killed. Um, I just want to make a note of the theme that comes up in several of the trials, and that's the theme of the hope. Paul says, I'm on trial for the hope of this nation. You notice Paul doesn't say, oh, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Christian, and there's two different groups. You notice that Paul stays in the middle of the way of my fathers and what the prophets spoke. And he basically says, I am believing the same things that they hope will happen. Namely, that I'm on trial for the, the hope of the nation. What was that? That there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. And that makes me stop and ask myself, what is my hope today in 2011? I mean, all kinds of difficult things happen. September 11th, 10 years ago, 
There will be wars to come. More catastrophes will happen like this. These bombs are going off in these cities. People are killing hundreds of people. Wars are going on. And even in our own country, you go in these inner cities, people are shooting each other. Marriages are falling apart. There's just sin and, and, and failure everywhere. What's our hope? Our hope, similarly, is the return of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to do what government and politics and, and everything can't do. Our hope is the resurrection. And some people don't have a hope. They're just kind of living life as they're living Christian life and sort of they'll die someday and maybe something will happen. That's not having a hope. A hope is really looking forward to the fact that I'm going to rise again someday and I'm going to stand upon the earth and see my Redeemer. And things will be set right. It's just a completely different perspective. And a lot of our hope isn't far enough in the future. It's, it's something very temporal. And the Apostle Paul had let go of everything else. He didn't have anything else. He had the Savior and the hope of his return. It's an interesting thing that he brings up um, in all the places that he gives uh, his testimony. Um, let's talk about something in verse 24. Moving through chapter 24. Uh, and after certain days, he hears, he hears Paul, he hears the Jews, and it says in verse 23, and he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to, to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. He should have let him go, but he didn't. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Who was Drusilla? We'll talk about do some a little bit, but she is the sister of Bernice and Agrippa, who will show up in the next chapter. She was Felix's third wife, um, the daughter of Herod, Agrippa I, that died in the amphitheater, the one that was eaten by worms. This was his daughter, one of his three children, um, Agrippa II, Bernice, and Drusilla. And she grew up as a child in Caesarea, but she was brought there from Rome by her father. She was born in Rome. And at the age of six, she was promised as a wife to Antiochus, presumably one of the descendants of the, the, the Greeks that, that used to rule in the area. He wouldn't get circumcised, which he had to do to marry a Jewish wife, and so the marriage was called off. Um, at age 14, her brother Agrippa II gives her to marry a king from Syria, who she marries. And Felix woos her out of that marriage and promises her a fancy court life. And so she leaves the marriage that she has and she marries Felix. And so she directly breaks Jewish law and marries a Gentile. This is his third wife. And so there's all kinds of sin going on in, in their society just like ours. And, and that's why when Paul gives him the gospel, he talks about what? Self-control. And he doesn't just give them the gospel. He brings up an issue that they have in their life right there. Um, so that's a little bit about, about Drusilla. What happens to Felix? Felix leaves Paul in prison for two years here in Caesarea. And now we go into Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Now when Festus was come into the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now what just happened? You might not notice that. You, you have this guy named Felix. Now we have this guy named Festus. And what's, what's going on? Let's talk a little bit about Festus. Festus was in the same position that Felix was in. 
Uh, he was a, a procurator. He was a ruler uh, over Judea. Felix was called back to Rome by Nero because he had intervened in um, a big dispute between some Jews and some Syrians. They're throwing rocks at each other. They have a dispute. He brings his military in. Uh, he, he throws some in prison. He kills some and lets his soldiers loot their houses and take their money. And he was called back to Rome. You remember how I said that when Paul, when they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen, they got scared because they had bound him? They could be called back to Rome if they broke the rules, so to speak. I mean, Rome had laws. And so Felix is called back to Rome for poor leadership. And that's how Festus takes his place. Festus is one of the only rulers in this position that actually does a decent job. And... Um, the Jewish leaders hated Felix so much that when Felix went to Rome, they all actually went the great distance to go to Rome and accuse him before the emperor. And so, now we come into Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Why do I have these pictures on the screen? Um, Festus inherits a pretty wild territory. There were men that roamed... Uh, the surrounding countryside. There were assassins known as the Sicarii who in the Temple Mount, let's see how fast I can go back here, would, that's pretty fast. Um, you can imagine large crowds of people. These men would come into the crowds. They'd have a dagger, and I don't know how to pronounce it, a Sicarii or something, that's where their name comes from. And they would just secretly in the, in the mob come up to somebody and, and kill him. And then they would... They would melt into the crowd. And then when the followers of this murdered leader came and mourned, they'd come back out and mourn with them and escape detection. And people feared dying from the Sicarii. I mean, it was just it was something that was terrifying to people. This is going on in modern life. I mean, we don't face that. We don't run around and people just jump out of the crowds and start killing people. And, and so Festus helps to rid um, the land of these kinds of men Felix had really allowed them to sort of get out of control. Um, he goes down to Jerusalem. When Festus was come to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Why does it always say to go down? They went down from Jerusalem or they ascended. You might get the point already. Jerusalem was pretty high in altitude, so you're always going down to these other cities. So he ascends, he goes up to Jerusalem, and he has to meet with the Jewish leaders because if he's going to bring you know, peace and quietness to the territory, he's got to have their help, even though they don't like him and he probably doesn't like them. Um, he has to have their help. And so he goes down there, and of course, they bring up Paul. Paul's been sitting in prison for two years under house arrest, and um, they want him to let Paul come down to Jerusalem for a visit so that they can assassinate Paul on the way. Festus says, no, we're not going to do that. You all can come to Rome and we'll have a little court case there. And so in Acts chapter 25, let's read some. Uh, this is one of the chapters I'm supposed to cover here. It says, then the high priest and the uh, chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, languate in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, 
He went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, the bema, that word would be there, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem, probably came down with him, you know, talking in his ear the whole way, stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same thing happened to the Savior. While he answered for himself, neither against, and this is what he says, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. And that should have been it. There was nothing that could stick. They should have let Paul go. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, you see the politics going on here? They need help taking control. The Jews want Paul. He's supposed to keep peace. And, and so rather than doing what's just, he basically sort of leaves him um, waiting. But Festus, willing to do the Jews pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll sit down. You stand. The Jews will come and we'll have a discussion there. There was absolutely no need to do this. Then said Paul, and here's a, a very important line, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. He's really sort of, sort of accusing Festus. Listen, I'm a Roman citizen and, and you, ought to, you ought to do things the right way. Judge me here because he knows what's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. They're going to kill him. There's no justice in Jerusalem, sadly. You remember what the Lord said to the prof, through the prophets? That he wanted righteousness and justice in his city. And even now, there's no righteousness. There's no justice. You know, sometimes in, in, in our emphasis on the gospel, we forget that our God also likes righteousness and mercy and justice. God doesn't want a world where there's no justice, where there's no peace, where people commit crimes and, and, and there's uh, illegal or unjust weights and bounces. God doesn't just dislike false doctrine. He also dislikes that type of sin. And that was what plagued Israel all through their history. And so we read on here, I stand at Caesar's judgment, verse 10. See, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or if I have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Listen to this honesty. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. And there's two words in the original. I haven't written them down, but basically he says, I appeal unto Caesar. He had a right as a Roman citizen to appeal to the courts of, of the emperor. And he basically, in two words, goes over the head of the Jewish leaders and goes over the head of Festus himself and appeals directly to Rome. And now Festus has a problem. Look what it says. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, immediately he has to confer with his council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. He immediately has a problem. And the problem is that now he has to send Paul to Caesar and he doesn't know what he's guilty of. If he doesn't send him and Caesar finds out that a Roman citizen appealed to the law of Rome and was denied justice, his head could be on the chopping block figuratively speaking. 
if he does send him and he doesn't have a good reason to send him, he could also be in trouble. What's Festus going to do? Well, thankfully, there's help on the way. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. A little politics going on. I don't know if I have. Uh, here we go. Agrippa II and Bernice show up. Now, why is this a good thing? It's a good thing because Agrippa was had some Jewish blood in him, as did his sister. And so we'll read on. 14, and when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's case, uh, cause under the king, saying, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was in Jerusalem, chief priests and elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that, uh, before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat, the bema, and commanded the man to be brought forth. Against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition. You can see what he thinks of, of the Jewish religion. Superstition. And of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Interesting little line. Is that history? Is, was there a man standing in Caesarea saying Jesus is alive? And if so, why? Because a historical event happened. And this man is attesting to that fact. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. That's not true. He wanted to do Jews a favor. And you notice this, by the way, as they talk to each other. Remember Claudius Lysias wrote a letter to Felix? and sort of makes himself out to, to look like he saved Paul from the crowd when he knew he was a Roman. He didn't do that. He found out when he was a Roman you know, after he bound him. And you notice they all do this a little bit. They sort of write things in their own... That's the way we do things, right? There's a disagreement. We write an email about our side of the story. We make it look like... So, we're not any better. Um, but when, when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, that's a general title that the Caesars would use... I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. By the way, you didn't just send one man on a boat to Caesar. You had to wait until there was proper um, means to do that, probably a number of prisoners that would go together and someone who could take them and be responsible for them. Uh, then, and that happens in, in chapter 27. Then Agrippa said in Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, as Festus, thou shalt hear him. Agrippa is a man. He's ready to give his opinion. I guess women are ready to give their opinion to him. Uh, and he says, well, you know, let me, let me get in on this. I'd like to hear this case. And um, Agrippa was trained in the, the, the royal courts. Um, he was skilled. And, and we see later that he knew all about Jewish law. And so this is the, the perfect man for the job. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come and Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the palace of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me. 
both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. They wanted Paul dead. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. That's Augustus, and he calls him Lord, Curios. Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. You think? You know what he's saying here? He's honoring Augustus, excuse me, he's honoring Agrippa, and he's also asking for help. I mean, he's basically openly... he was more noble, so to speak, than the, 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 other, the, um, the other governors before him. He's basically saying, I don't know what to do. He's appealed to Caesar. I want to send him, but I don't know what to write. And so you all can come and listen to him. So this is not a trial. Paul has already appealed to Caesar. He's going to go. This is now an open, fanciful opportunity for everybody to hear Paul, and they're going to decide as powerful people what should happen, and especially Agrippa II, because he's got the most qualification uh, to make this decision. Um, you all can't see that font. If you can, you've got great eyes. Um, been eating your carrots. We, we can't go through the chapter without talking about the Herodian family. And um, let's just do that quickly. Everybody has heard the story of Jesus' birth. And there's a man named Herod who's king of the Jews. The Roman Senate gave him that title. Before the Herods came to power, there were actually Jewish royalty reigning. They were called the Hasmoneans. They, they fought off in the Maccabean Wars, they fought off the Greeks that descended from Alexander the Great. The four generals that took over his empire fought battles, and at some point the Maccabeans rose up fought off the Greeks, and had a little period of independence. That was about the time, by the way, that the Old Testament was written into Greek, the Septuagint. In 63, Pompey, the general, comes in and takes over the territory for Rome, and, and Israel or Palestine becomes a Roman territory. And, and Rome gives control of the land to Antipater, an Edomian or an Edomite family. So these are not Jewish people. So automatically, you know, there's going to be tension. He sets up, eventually, Herod the Great is given land and power uh, because of his friendliness to Rome. He's a friend of Mark Antony. He's given power and land. And he fights and claws his way into control. And eventually around, um, I think it is 37 BC, he becomes officially king of the Jews. They gave him a title and they're like, you know, good luck, man. You can be king of the Jews. And, that's, and you can see why when Jesus was born, he says, where is he that is born entitled what? King of the Jews. That's my title. It's not just I'm a king, but that was his title. He had at least five wives. Doris, Mariamne, Malthus, another Mariamne, and Cleopatra of Jerusalem. Nothing to do with Cleopatra, Mark Anthony's girl. Um, he tries to marry into the Jewish community by marrying Mariamne, who was a descendant of one of these Hasmonean families. She has a few sons, but Herod was such a wicked man that he begins to fear 
that they're going to kill him. So he has his wife killed and his sons that are descendants that have Jewish blood. When he would go away on battle, he left a, a secret message that if he was to die, they were to kill Mary Omni because he didn't want anybody to have her. That's what kind of controlling man Herod the Great was. But he was, an, he was an awesome architect, an awesome builder. He was awesome on the battlefield, but he was an evil man. Well, his son Aristobulus and Alexander die, but not before Aristobulus can have some children. When Herod dies, he asks Rome not to give his land to any one of his sons. He didn't think that they were capable. And so Rome splits up his territory between some of his other sons. And eventually, they, they die or they lose power. One of them, Archelaus, was such a bad ruler, he had the most land, he was over Judea, that, that Rome kicked him out. And that's why they put these Praetorians like Pontius Pilate and others in place. That's why you had these men who weren't kings. They were just Romans ruling because the people that were descendant of the royal family, this gentleman in particular, was such a bad ruler. So, you've got Agrippa I, Aristobulus, and some of these folks here. And so what happens is, is that this is the Agrippa that... And let me read some of these things to you. Um, some of these Herods appear throughout the New Testament. And I've got to wrap this up quickly. Um, Herod the Great is the one that tries to kill the Lord Jesus. Remember, he kills all these infant boys. It's kind of a man he was. Um, his son Archelaus ruled ruthlessly in Judea. Mary and Joseph had to resettle in Nazareth because Archelaus was ruling. He was such a bad ruler and such an evil man. Eventually, the Romans kick him out. That's why they go to Nazareth. Just politics, just history, but they're fulfilling the word of God, aren't they? This is a real person of history, Archelaus, who's helping to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus winds up growing up in Nazareth. Um, his other son, Antipas, beheads John the Baptist. Okay? Herod Antipas is the one that beheads John the Baptist. Agrippa I kills James and arrests Peter in Acts 12. But Peter gets out of prison. And he is the one that dies in Caesarea in AD 44, eaten by worms. His son, Agrippa II, the last Jewish king, though not really, is the one who shows up here to bail out Festus. And so when you read Herod or when you read Agrippa, there's a whole family here. We mentioned Drusilla, the wife of Felix. This is uh, Agrippa's sister, Bernice was married to Herod of Chalcis, uh, but he dies, and so she starts to live with Agrippa, and there were rumors that they were living together in more, as more than just brother and sister. And so it's Bernice and Agrippa that show up with great pomp. And it's before the two of them and before all the gathered crowd that Paul makes his, his last defense and last testimony and account of his life in Acts chapter 26 here in Caesarea. And that fulfills the promise that Paul would bear the gospel before Gentiles, before kings, and before Israel. Now, we're out of time, but what happens in Acts chapter 26 is Paul gives his defense. And what I would suggest that you all do is take a look at this simple setup. Acts 26 presents to you a testimony 
and the reaction of certain people to it. If you're looking for something to study, look at Paul's testimony in Acts 26 and look at how Festus responds. Look at how Agrippa responds. Look at how the Jews respond. And ask yourself, can we see in, in, in them the way people today respond to testimony, to evangelism? It's just an interesting thing that can, that can be done. And it can be used as, as a message to preach. I guess I was supposed to do that tonight. Um, and I, I won't be. I'll be finishing up. And um, eventually, presumably, they figure out what to do with Paul and what to write. And in Acts 27, they send him, and I can give this great little map, all the way to Rome by means of ship. And uh, you read through Acts 27, and it's one of the greatest um, explanations of, of you know, sea navigation in classical literature, all kinds of neat terms. Um, and Paul gets put on a grain ship that's heading up um, to this area. The Romans had grain from Alexandria come, and it gets shipwrecked, and you hear the rest of the story in Acts chapter 27. So I'm going to stop here. Um, and I, I hope that the little bit that I've shared helps bring the story to life a little bit. Uh, these things were not done in a quarter. They, 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 they happen in real places before real people that you can read about in history. And so again, when we think about the gospel and when we think about the book of Acts, we're thinking about real people and real events. And do we treat them that way? And do we respond to the gospel that way? And when we share the gospel to other people, we can tell them this is real history. If you can share some of these facts with them, they, they might be convinced of that as well. Okay? I'll close in prayer and then um, I guess we'll be his best. Father, this evening, we wonder if one day stories might be told about some here who took a stand for your son in their world, in their generation, as Paul did in his. Lord, it's neat to think about all of the people that got to hear Paul share the gospel, bystanders and people that were looking on. Lord, it's neat to see how just plain old history fulfilled the promises and prophecies that you declared beforehand. Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe that you're working in the same way today in our world, bringing all things into the conformity to your will. Lord, we ask that you'd give us Paul's courage in sharing the gospel, that we would have our minds set on the hope of Christ's return and not on some smaller, shorter, cheaper hope, that our hearts would be set on Christ. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.